Hello, beautiful souls. We bring you conscious content filled with empowering information. Designed to align you with the fulfilling freedom of activated awareness. I am Rachel Alcyon. And I am Daniel Alcyon. Welcome Welcome to to the the Ecstatic Ecstatic Existence Existence Podcast. Welcome back, beautiful friends and family, listeners from around the world. You are joining in the Ecstatic Existence Podcast. We come at you every single week with interviews with global leaders in health, wellness, spirituality, conscious thought, and inspirational living. I am Daniel Alcyon. And I'm Rachel Alcyon. And it is our complete honor and privilege to bring you our guest today. Julia Tiffin is an alchemist and a navigator for people to lead a life more connected to the core of who they are. She was born in apartheid South Africa and has witnessed just how far the mind and being can be damaged and how far people can be disconnected from the core of who they are. Her background is as a bachelor in fine arts where she lectured fine art photography at universities in South Africa focusing on how to guide students to find their passions, before receiving training with the Modern Mystery School 13 years ago. It was there that she learned tools to hand down through teaching and many personal sessions to assist people to access their own internal GPS, and so therefore lead themselves toward living a purposeful, passionate, and joyful life. Yay, welcome to the show, Julia. Thank you. Thank you so much, both of you. Where is it that you are speaking to us from today, Julia? I am speaking to you from Cape Town in South Africa, and um, we're going into into autumn, into fall, but it's still sunny and beautiful here. Well, that is wonderful because on beautiful Bainbridge Island, it's a bit rainy today. But we're entering into (laughs) springtime and summer, so that feels good. So we're here today primarily to talk about your book, this TV show that's in the works, some of your artwork. Well, and I also want to hear a bit about your background in in art because it's so cool. You know, you had that that shift where weren't you like in Paris? And so anyway, I want to let's let's actually start there. It's interesting. Uh, I've been reflecting on that recently quite a bit. I uh, started my bachelor's of fine art in Cape Town in, in South Africa. And um, actually, I was really sort of like a mathematics science kid at school, and I shifted in the final year of school to fine art. So that was crazy. So I, I really explored myself as a creative after that time for the first time in my life. But I think I really tap into and I feel deeply the consciousness of people and, and of humanity. And in my final year, in my honors year, I was really, really interested in the skin, in the outer, the skin of people and how skin is the, the medium for people to feel the world around them and how skin can reflect what you feel, how you perceive things. And for me, what I lived through in apartheid South Africa, um, it disturbs your mind and your soul and your heart in a very deep level. And, um, I, I took photographs of hands and, and, and the skin and I, I was just, and I printed them on, in a very beautiful way on, on photographic fiber paper, 
beautiful toned it with chemistry and then i i left these beautiful prints in 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 water where the water got rotten and it's sort of molding i had all kinds of also uh, acids that i applied to the photographic paper to almost burn the skin of the photographic paper itself and it left these scars across the photographic paper which which was had been photographing the skin and of a body and 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 hands and so forth and, and I re-photographed this decaying process and I printed those re-photographed images back onto the fiber paper, toned with selenium toning and really making them exquisite pieces of art. But it, it was this, this woundedness that had been made beautiful. This, uh, this body of work was, um, recognized and I, I was really 21 at the time. It was recognized very quickly by the French who then exhibited it at the main museum in Europe, uh, which is in Paris. And for them, it was really interesting because they looked at me and they were like, wow, such a pretty girl. How could you do work such intensity? You know, and I'd look at them and I'd think, now what, what, what is strange about that? <laughs> and I think, it, you know, it took me a while to fully comprehend just the level of intensity we, we went through as South Africans and how it, it affected, I would say it affected people the most in their interpersonal relationships. I've always been inclined to spell the word apartheid, not the way it's spelt in the in the Dutch version, but but really um two words, apart and then like a hyphen and, and the word hate, H A T E and how it you know, people talk about race, but if I, I know my country and my culture and people here, every culture is damaged in their interpersonal relationships. So we have the highest, we have had the highest divorce rate in the world for a long time. And that's every culture. So it's, it's about, it's, we've been so, we were cut off from ourselves. We were cut in pieces as a nation and it, it split us in half in all our interpersonal relationships. So it took me a while to realize, uh, just the, the difference that, that I'd experienced in, in living versus the rest of the world. But that theme of being able to, take something which was traumatic and to alchemically change it into something beautiful from a really from a young age has really I already almost knew without realizing what the theme for the rest of my life was going to be really was about that magic that alchemy of transforming anything negative you go through you always have the choice to change it no matter what it is and I've never lost the knowledge and the hope I hold this for people because no matter what you've gone through, you can shift it into a state of beauty. So now as I am reflecting on another, another show actually, and I'm looking at, uh, taking that show. I had that revelation the last few days to take that show to another level. And I, I realized, and this is a more personal part of part of what inspired that show also at the time. Yes, was the political situation, but also truthfully, it was also created a couple of years after my father died um, suddenly, and we only found his body 10 days later. Now, uh, needless to say, the state of his body was not exactly um, found in a, you know, it was quite a traumatic, um, I, I didn't witness the body, but I did hear some stories. Um, so what's interesting as I reflect now on, on really taking that show to the next level, I've just gone through another dying process that was very, very different. So, 
um, death and life and, and beauty and decay. These are kind of things which, which have fascinated my soul, you know, as an artist, which, which I've always been and always will be. So yeah, but that, that show really, I got it published at the time in an anthology of African photographers, this beautiful, massive book. And that particular piece of work traveled around the world. And, and from there, I began lecturing at universities in South Africa and, um, you know, worked as an artist and, and really until I found this path of alchemy and magic and I realized I wanted to, to really learn and master this before I returned back to my art. I wanted to return back to my art as a more, more mature and more healed individual. Um, and, and really come back with great strength as an artist. Well, watch out, world, because your next body of work, I'm sure, is going to be amazing. <laughs> you know, if you already had this depth that you were working with at 21, and like you admitted to, you didn't even necessarily know what it was that was working so well. You didn't know what it was that you were conveying. But so now that you have a more no. worldly point of view, and like you say, you've healed a lot of your own inner woundings, now, when you're able to use this magic that you have of finding the beauty in the decay and finding the lusciousness in the wounding and elevating that alchemically to a higher level, I imagine that this next thing you're going to put out is going to be mind-blowing. <laughs> well, uh, thank you, Daniel. I um, I think this is inspiring me to literally just, that that's the next step, I think. that That's the next step. Yeah, so you started as a bit of a uh, visual alchemist, and now yes. you are a, what would you say, a spiritual alchemist? Yes, spiritual alchemist. We are really made up of all kinds of chemistry. If we were just to look at the root of the word alchemy, which has definitely got, we, we can hear, we, we hear this word, you know, chemistry that's come from this word, but we are really just a set of chemistry and water and all kinds of things happening inside us and spiritual alchemy really is the art of changing the way you think and the way you perceive things and when you do that you you change the vibratory state of your mind and that mind has direct impact on the vibration of your body and so you you literally you shift in your mind, you internally shift and shift your own physical chemistry too. And as a result of that internal shift in your mind and your being, you then change your outer world. A lot of what I was doing is that I was working with outer chemistry to change my inner world. And they both work. But I've I've really, as you said, I, I went and I explored the art of alchemy so that I could understand what on earth it was I was doing. And, uh, you know, as within, so without, as without, so within, this very famous um, hermetic statement, which is really coming out of teachings of alchemy as well. And um, we can both, I believe, both physically change the world around us and change our mind and change our mind and change the physical expression of our world around us. So they both work. But there is just really, and I, and I, and I hate to be so clear about this because people love being a victim, but there really is no place to be a victim. You know, I feel it's a really a waste of time to use our mind in that way because the art of alchemy is our absolute birthright. And when people get reconnected with this knowledge, then it takes away the need to waste your time being a victim and not being able to live the life that your heart desires so deeply. Yeah, absolutely. This The victim mentality is exactly what the modern mainstream media and the governments of the world want us to be in. And 
with the victim exactly. mentality, you are believing that you are simply raw material that's being acted upon by outside forces. And you are blown about in the wind of change, and you are tossed by the tides, and there's woe is me, there's nothing you can do about it. And this is my lot in life, I have to deal. Yep. Whereas, like you're saying, there's no time for that. I mean, we're only on this planet for so long in physical form, and so it's time to wake up and move beyond that victim mentality and recognize that we have a very enormous role in dictating how the outcome of our life shows up. Exactly. I was just looking at and, and looking at with someone who was reviewing sections of, of my book today, Light as a Feather, and... um and really, it's a manual for dying and a manual for living. And what, what, I, what I was being shared with me was that in Buddhism, a lot of the first level training people get introduced to is meditations on, on death. And she was saying that meditating on a clock where you hear the time ticking, uh, as you start hearing time moving forward, it's supposed to give you the realization of how much time you're wasting at not living. But people, you know, it's interesting. We, we waste so much time on things that really take us to a negative state of being, which leads me now to what I've also been working on, which I, I've only, you know, as, as the beauty of discovery and the beauty of revelation works in our lives, I've only been realizing, like, why on earth am I writing a book on a manual for living and a manual for dying? Yes, I've experienced two profound dying processes, but I certainly am very focused on living. And truthfully, as a result of going through a second, very long, prolonged dying process with a parent, I am more alive than ever. More things are possible than ever was before in my mind. And I'm more appreciative of each moment that I have. It's like each moment is my dessert. It's like, oh my goodness, I've got this two hours where I can do this. Or it doesn't have to be necessarily doing something that I love doing things. I love being busy, but sometimes it's just, oh my goodness, I have got two hours. I can spend half an hour playing crazily with my cat and I can spend another half an hour in my garden uh, talking to my plants or I can spend another half an hour talking to my family. So appreciating the time I have, it isn't always about necessarily being busy, but doing something really positive with that time and just appreciating it more, appreciating that moment to living and while we're speaking about alchemy, I, this interesting theme of death that's been flowing in my life is such an important. I really want people to become make friends with death because that's the one thing we're certain of in life. If there's only one thing, it's that. And just another point, Daniel, that you were mentioning. You know, both your country and my country, we, we're, you know, if we spend too much time at any moment focusing on our political situations, um, it is so easy to go into a victim state of mind. Both countries, America and South Africa, have got horrible political stuff going down. And, you know, if nothing else, both of those political situations will take us to being a victim so quickly. And you're guaranteed of that. So both of these very challenging political dynamics that are happening is such an incredible opportunity for us to go, what am I going to focus my mind on? What are my choices what can I do with it now? Where do I want to place my mind? Because what I focus on is going to expand. And how can I shift? If I'm responding negatively to these situations, how can I shift my inner world to shift my outer world? And really showing people that they have that option and they always have that option no matter what. 
That's amazing. You know, and I find that actually death is one of those places where people instantly go to victim. You know, it's filled mm. with so much fear and um, and anxiety that they don't even want to look at it, especially here in, uh, in the U.S. It's not really talked mm. about. People don't really have a death plan. And actually, we were just talking to a friend yesterday who was saying that she's been in her dream space getting all these downloads about how to die. How incredible to have that structure in place. Um, you know, there's many ancient textbooks on, you know, the art of dying and how to how to beautifully navigate it, right? Mm, and it mm. and it does it frees you up to be able to live more fully when you have that kind of plan in place and uh make friends with it almost uh it's thought that many of the real masters of the planet very actively choose their time of death. There are stories of some of the Zen masters and the yogis mm. that would tell their followers when they would die. And the followers would say, oh, well, you're crazy. You know, you're, you're perfectly good health. Nothing's going to happen to you. You live a devout life. And then sure enough, you know, one day they would be like walking in the desert and then their master would just disappear before their eyes because they had finished mm -hmm. their task on earth and they had dematerialized into spirit because they were very conscious. And like you said, they had made friends with death. They were like understanding of it as part of the process and they had released their fear. And, you know, then there's this wonderful saying that I love. This is a Native American saying that you are not actually dead until the last person alive no longer remembers you. Wow. So that was the Native American belief that you would still be around, you would still be alive until no one else living ever spoke your name and ever knew you existed. And at that point, you finally left. You were no longer needed here. Wow. Wow. It, the, the, wow. There's, there's two things I, I just wanted to speak to there. And I love this Egyptian uh, story about the goddess Ma'at, who is the goddess, amongst other things, of justice. And she often is presented blindfolded with scales in front of her. And on the one side of the scale is a feather. What she does is she weighs the weight of your soul. The idea is that our soul needs to be as light as a feather to cross over to the other side. And thinking about that master who knows the time of his death, part of what I witnessed in the most poetic, I've, I never imagined that a dying process could be so holy. My very Portuguese family would come into my home and I could see that they were, they could feel this, Something special is happening because my mom was very consciously letting go step by step of all these things in her soul. And I watched as her soul got lighter and lighter and lighter and lighter. And her words, each word became so powerful. Three words could just shift anything in a room. And and, and in watching that, it, you know, it, it's like we we can choose. Like that master, he knew when he was complete. He knew he'd completed his lessons. And there is no question about it in my mind that we can take this idea of, of living light as a feather or having our soul light by reviewing the weight in our soul, reviewing the baggage we carry, we hold on to, which is always something we're not forgiving, someone or something in ourselves we're not forgiving. The concepts we hold that keep us in pain and suffering, 
I really believe that story of my art was not just for what needs to happen when we cross over, but we can actively review where we are in the weight of our soul at any given moment and realize and pause where we need to lighten that load. We don't need to wait until we die. If we understand that death is inevitable, we accept it, we make friends with it. What makes living more profound is when we lighten our soul on a daily basis. We're constantly reviewing that. And we realize that that lightness of being is what gives us the freedom to really enjoy what time we have in the physical. And, and that's, that's really, really liberating. And the other thing that North America, that North American Indian story is just so, so special for me because one of the chapters I write is death is a family affair. We're not born alone and we don't die alone. And, you know, there's often people say, you know, you basically, come into this world alone you leave this world alone and and sure you know we we're on our own but are we really and so one of the things that i've reflected on as the as the connections between families has broken down in the world and i've been witnessing this in different cultures uh, where certain cultures the connectedness amongst family has been lost and as we become more nuclear families um, we don't acknowledge the power of where we come from and you can be as isolated and as insular as you want to be. Uh, you can think that you're on your own and you can support yourself and you can do everything. But everyone came into this world through a mother and you needed a father to bring you in. And those two people needed two more people to bring them in. And those people needed four more. So there is this threads of connectedness to everyone behind us that we are deeply connected to this web of connectedness that gives us access to deep amounts of knowledge. And as you said, it's like when we die, we're still threaded and connected to our family, to the people that we connect to. And when do we really die? Is this a good point? Because we keep serving through, through the memories of our being. And at some point, we're no longer needed in the physical and memory. And then we're, we're truly dead. So that's a really amazing reflection is this idea. People have this terrible idea that death is so final and that someone's died and it's the end of their world. Well, it's, it's not because consciousness continues after death. And science has now finally proved that we don't, we know this and, and yet science has proved it also. There isn't that finality. It's just this, it's just a shift in their physical presence not being here. But their consciousness is very much still there and very much available to be connected with is the truth, is what has been my experience through all the dying the people that have crossed over in my life. Yeah, it's a, a pretty amazing subject that it's so interesting how <laughs> little understanding we really have because no one that has ever mm -hmm. fully died. I mean, I don't know anybody that has really no. died. I mean, maybe people go kind of close, maybe they flatline, but like... I've never spoken to anybody that's died before, so it's so hard for us to wrap our brain around that. Now, you were talking mm -hmm. just a moment ago about this fabric, this like woven connection that we all carry with our lineage, with our personal family lineage and bloodline. And mm -hmm. what's very interesting is how Rachel and I first met you was learning a modality that actually affects and yes. benefits the bloodline and the DNA. Because this DNA is yes. the thread that weaves us together, right? But the beautiful thing is that this modality that you were one of our instructors to learn, the life yes. activation, 
actually works in both directions. So healing family lineage backwards and forwards in seven generations. And that really answers the question as to why on earth am I so passionate in my private practice in the life activation? Because we are not alone. We are this interconnected web of beings through our holy DNA, which I, and I call it holy because it's the connection to our own divinity. Many holy texts have said we were made in the image of God. And therefore, the map, the DNA, is this map to this major divinity. And the most incredible thing about this modality that keeps me doing it in private practice and now the privilege of training others in many countries in the world to do it is that when we offer to an individual in this private session this, this amazing life activation, it goes as far as seven generations backwards and seven generations forwards. You know, where, for example, our ancestors might have lived in a, in a time of consciousness where the thinking of humanity was not as progressive as it is today. We have this original divine blueprint that is absolutely perfect. It's, it's like I think of it as a, as a graphic designer who's made this beautiful image on their computer and they've printed it out on glossy photo paper and this thing is absolutely beautiful. And then Joe Bloggs comes along and puts his coffee cup on that beautiful image. And uh, lo and behold, you have this coffee stain. And that for me is when the DNA is, is perfect, but also it's very receptive to new ideas. So when we begin to have negative perceptions, it's our ancestor 200 years ago during some war, some negative time in history, some uh, feudal system when you were a, a serf working for a lord. I'm just making a story here. Um where this this ancestor we had felt oppressed and, and felt a victim and, and this thinking became truth for them in their inner world. And then that inner thinking became locked and anchored into the DNA as an imperfection, but yet it got recorded because the DNA is also highly receptive to new ideas. And so when we do this life activation, we actually are able to reach back in time and space to affect the DNA in our line. And those imperfections, those coffee stains, so to speak, receive light and, and almost like going through a washing process of literally being eliminated from that original perfect divine blueprint and allow both ourselves and the physical to access our true gifts within, but also since we're still connected to our ancestors who are before us, it allows them to shift their mind, their thinking, their being on the other side. So I can only say it's truly a miraculous process. And all I can say is having received many life activations myself over the years and um, my family having received them, so some of my family, one of the gifts that I've received that was completely unexpected. Then um, the last six months, I've all of a sudden had, and again, I've had no previous knowledge of this, but all of a sudden I have the, the sense of my ancestors present in my life. Um, and, and, and I get guidance uh, miraculously from my ancestors, this knowledge and this wisdom as if, as if through this purification process, we've been able to bring the, the perceived gap between myself and those that have crossed over. We've bridged that gap because all the impurities that have minimized our connection to each other have been purified through the life activation. So the life activation has, for myself and, and for, of course, my clients, has allowed me to access many more gifts 
and allow me to live a multidimensional life where I have multiple aspects of myself being able to be expressed, where one person might have one career, one job, I have about four or five or six different things running at the same time. And with more access to more of my DNA, I have the capacity to do those things without stress that we would think I should have. So it's, it's a truly miraculous session. I mean, uh, I cannot emphasize that more. And, and sure, I've learned certain tools that have further enhanced that. But at the, at the foundation, the first thing I ever did in this ancient tradition was the life activation. So it's an incredible session. Yeah. And so when people have these mistaken beliefs that they aren't even sure where they came from, you know, like beliefs and scarcity that could be going back from many generations to where there was like famine or, you know, intense poverty. Uh, and then that gets carried yes. over in the DNA. And so how liberating and freeing it is to just have that all wiped clean, the whole slate wiped clean so that you don't have to be functioning with that cloudiness anymore. Yeah, you know, a lot of times I think people approach the idea of DNA, especially in the modern world, very scientific. And with a computer analogy here, they think that their DNA is the hardware. Like, this is the system mm -hmm. that they're running on, and because of the DNA, it's it's set, and there are only so much capacity, you're going to be limited by certain things, and you're going to have certain abilities, and that's it. But in actuality, mm -hmm. your DNA is the software. And so software mm -hmm. is writable, it's upgradable, it's a two-way street. And so it's not only dictating to you like a machine, software is perpetually upgrading. It's There's room to improve and rewrite the code, right? And so that's the amazing thing here. And talk about, like Rachel's just saying, removing these, um, these I guess, spiritual impurities out of your DNA code. That's a way to make your soul light as a feather which also happens to be the title of your book. So it's a really beautiful process. And of course, what that session does is it basically brings light into DNA that you haven't been accessing because there is a significant amount of DNA that we just not plugged into, hence the underperformance of our brain capacity and so forth. But what really accelerates the life activation is some of the tools that the tradition uh, that, that I train in, that, that you've trained in, offers us to be able to open ourselves further. So whilst the activation gets things going, sometimes we need also certain knowledge that we haven't been given in our education system. And of course, education is one of my biggest, biggest passions and uh, the education system as, as we have it is not something I'm fond of in the slightest. I don't know if you know this, but the current school system we work with was really forged in the during the Industrial Revolution where people in factories needed to be able to turn machines on and off and read signs how to do that. So they realized, oh my goodness, the regular people can't read and write and add and do basic maths, which they needed them to do. So they started uh, in the factories with night school. And then they began to add certain subjects that would basically make people more job friendly or job capable. So they could therefore easily do jobs and plug into someone else's business. And at no point did we get the knowledge that we needed truly to live an empowered life, a life that's driven from your passion driven from the knowledge of who you are, that's in alignment with what you would really like to experience here. Instead, we've gone to an education system where we are being uh, groomed to have a job and have a career 
And, you know, I'll never forget the day when I announced to my, my beautiful family that I was not going to be doing a science degree. Um, I was going to be doing fine art. Well, that went down like a pork chop at a synagogue. That did not go down very well. <laughs> and, um, you know, they couldn't conceive that I would be able to get a job, which was never my intention. I did not want to get a job. So what I find also essential is whilst the light gets switched on in the life activation, and, and, and this is why I do spend time handing down tools of knowledge for people, giving people the knowledge they need to live a truly a life that's truly aligned with their purpose. And um, had we received that at school, I wouldn't need to be doing this for adults now that are looking around the world and going, well, the government's not going to give me what I need. The job's not going to give me what I need. I'm stressed. I, I have these cool devices, these uh, smartphones and these tablets, um, which is supposed to make my life easier, but I'm even more stressed. And really giving people access to find out what's truly inside them and what would lead them to a state of joy um, and, and, and where they can direct their ship according to their own internal GPS system. So I certainly encourage people to to receive the life activation if they haven't, but also to look into receiving some knowledge that they haven't maybe read in books or found through other systems that's handed down in a very ancient lineage, but tools that help people to live a more profound life um, in alignment with their purpose. Yeah, because there's more to life than just getting up early and working and going to bed late, you know, and people are beginning to to recognize this. I mean, even my, my own sister, she's having this massive awakening since I've received my life activation. And she's like, you know what, like, I've been in this corporate world working for these major companies getting paid well, and she just quit her job. And all of her peers, you know, they're in their 20s. And they're like, only a few years out of college. And they're like, this isn't what I want to be doing. This isn't what I thought I was signing mm -hmm. up for. Yeah, and nowhere along in their education system have they been turned on to these inner gifts. It's always looking outside of the self for satisfaction, for what is going to complete me, for what task can I accomplish next. But they're never uh, keyed into the fact that we have unlimited power within us. Mm -hmm. So you are leaving quite a big footprint on the planet, Julia, in really cool ways. And we've talked about this idea of light as a feather. You gave us the background about that and, you know, how that's also yes. the title of your book. That's also one of the hashtags that you really are crafting as something that leaves your specific idea and mark on the world, right? And there's a couple yes. other hashtags yes. that you use regularly that I'd love to hear your take on. You know, it's funny how I was starting to learn learn about these things called hashtags, not knowing why people had them. And I was just looking at them going, it popped into my head, return to the sacred. I thought about this and realized, my goodness, but this is everything that I'm about. So that hashtag coins the most important driving energies in my life. Everything in my life, every moment in my life has become something sacred. I, I want to say holy. My home, the corners, the carpet, the couch, every part of it is sacred to me. And people feel it when they come in. They, they see, they feel an inanimate space that is loved. I respect and honor and love everything in here. And I use sacred geometries and, and tools to elevate everything in my home to something sacred where I honor it. I touch everything with honor and I treat it with respect. My animals 
I have two uh, two cats, jellyfish and goldfish, and they're so individuated. People really look at them and go, they are not cats. And I'm like, no, that they're not cats. <laughs> they are so honored that they have such a strong presence and healing powers and protection powers and communication skills. My garden, um, I, I didn't know anything about gardening. Last year, September, I decided, that's it. I'm putting in an organic garden. I knew nothing. I just uh, put some things in the ground and I listened to the plants and I, I just put them where I thought they might work. Well, they worked. I had no idea. And going to talk to them every day. Um, so, so returning to the sacred is about making everything in your life an act of holiness, something special, um, with the way you honor people in your life, restoring the mundane to something sacred. And I realize that's why I love teaching the classes I teach because I give people the chance to step out of the mundane. People get so bogged down in the traffic and this corporate office and the ordinarily ordinariness of life. And for me, through sacred ritual and ceremony and meditation and awareness, as we lift our awareness, everything becomes so sacred and special. So I love being able to give people back the gift of magic and every moment is magic. Once you start opening that door of living a more sacred life, you start seeing things that are just not in the physical and, uh, I think seeing is believing. And so when you start really experiencing it for yourself, life becomes a bit like um, Alice in Wonderland. But it starts with honoring your, your life in the physical. It's funny how things come in full circle. I, I wrote a thesis uh, at university called Drawing with Light, and um, it popped back in my head 20 years later, and I realized, oh, my goodness, that was something else which is very important to me. Photography itself, which was something that I – began to work with quite avidly uh, means drawing with light and what's very interesting is that when the camera first came to Africa uh, I guess the 1800s at some point the members of the tribes were very skeptical of the camera because they realized something very important about what a camera actually does they felt that if you were photographed it would steal your soul and what they were realizing is that the camera captures the light of the soul. It's able to to literally perceive the light coming from the soul. And they were 100% right. And um, for me, drawing with lights really is about how you create your life. Realizing that you, your entire being, is a being of light. Your soul is light. Uh, your your spirit is light. And and really, even your physical body is just light solidified into dense particles. And so drawing with light for me is about realizing that you are the artist of your life. You can draw your life with your soul, with your spirit, with your mind, with your being. You, you, all your qualities you've been given, you can draw and create your life with. Um, it's all at your hands. It's all in your hands. You can create it. So drawing with light, I don't know what form it's going to, to develop into. Is it going to be a book one day? But it is certainly something which coins the footprint that I want to leave on this planet, drawing with light, a return to the sacred, and then light as a feather, really showing people that they can live a lighter life, transform the dross of the heaviness in their soul, and uh, let it go and be present to living a life um, as light as a feather. And for me, the huge key to do that is forgiveness. It's the art of forgiveness.
So yeah, that's, those are the things that have really helped me to solidify what is my footprint that I want to leave on the planet in, in general. And just to add one more thing to Drawing with Light, I'm working on a, an internet TV show because I feel that I can reach more people through that medium than the private practice that I do lead throughout the world. I, I teach in quite a few countries uh, in Africa, Middle East, and Europe. But the series is really going to give people access to some of the hidden teachings in the mystery school in a broader brush sense where I will talk about how to think, how to love yourself, how to really create your life by shifting certain things that you didn't realize you needed to shift because we didn't have the correct, what I call education. We didn't learn how to think. We didn't learn how to access our feelings. We didn't learn how to connect with our body. We didn't learn how to grow our own food. So so really giving people tools how to redesign their life. So that TV show is going to be a very important thing that I that I work on and it will take a while to put into physical form, but it certainly is brewing. It is brewing. Well, that's very exciting and I can't wait because I love the energy that you bring and the perspective and I think there's going to be a fantastic reach for this content. People are hungry. People are waking up for this information. And so it's going to be a really nice way, like you said, to get beyond the physical meetings and beyond the in-person contacts, which are massively important, but you're going to be able to reach people far and wide across the globe on this beautiful digital web. So congratulations. And this is really what people are hungry for right now, for more light in all of its forms, the light as a, a weightless form and light as a uh, illuminating quality. I think also, I, I'll just give you a little bit of, of an experience I had. I, I had the privilege of going into Central Africa to bring some of this training, this alchemical training. And um, being a curious person that I am, I asked a couple of questions of the locals there. I wanted to understand how people spent their time, um, how much, what their lifestyle was like. And um, one, one of the things I was very curious about is parenting because I noticed that most families have a minimum of five children per family. So I wanted to know, like, where do they go to school? How do they manage all those kids? I'm just curious to know how these things work. And what I discovered was that, um, and, and maybe it's not in every family, but this is a, a general status quo in, in Uganda where, where I was, is that generally kids go to boarding school quite young. So they don't have that parental connection, many of them. Um, not all, but that does happen a lot, the theme of boarding school. And then it looked to me as if by the time they were in high school, they were doing up to 22 subjects and starting at 6 a.m. till 6 p.m. And um, one of the things that they – I asked them about art. You know, do you do art or music or sport? Because art, music, and sport basically – makes more connections between the, the left and right hemispheres and helps in critical thinking development and um, whole brain thinking. So you become more of a leader in your life. And what the feedback I got was that there was no art or music and they did sport every third semester. And um, I was uh, quite concerned. Uh, and, and the people of Uganda said to me, you know, we're not innovators, we're copiers. And that was very, very disturbing to me. So, uh, different countries have different strengths and weaknesses in their education. And I've seen some systems that are worse than others and some that excel more than others. And even in the States, I know certain states have got, you know, variations in, in their education levels and, and in the 
the, the level of thinking they produce in people. And I think that there's huge, huge, huge gaps in training people in critical thinking development, in accessing your own inner truths. There's just so much stuff that's not being developed in people. I am very fortunate because my mom wrote a book, The Guide to Smart Thinking, and I've reviewed it. And there's quite a lot of content there that I can use to um, develop a series, How to Think for People. So certain certain areas in the world where the education is, is really not encouraging people for using their own capacities, they can start to expand and access their mind through various exercises so that they can start accessing more solutions in their life. So there's a huge gap in consciousness, but also just, you know, something that interests me very much is how do you grow your own food? I think that that's a, a skill that we need in this modern world. I think you know, you could have an apartment and you could have some plants growing in a balcony and you could learn how to do that. And that's a joy. And and having the pride in your own food that you eat from your own energy. And one of the things is when we grow our own food, the DNA of that plant starts echoing with your own DNA and can best support your body to be stronger. So it may sound really, you know, crazy, but I really think more people should know how to grow some of their own food and be empowered to do that for themselves. Uh, so I foresee a series. How do you grow your own food? Um, very simply. And there's many experts in the world, but really just to be another voice contributing to something which I feel so incredibly important. Believe that food can be your medicine and can really help us with so many of our body problems is, is really just eating the right food. So this, you know, show is going to have multiple different things it's going to speak to. And there's many different experts that we have around us that could contribute to so many solutions, but our voices need to spread. We just need to keep moving forward with this amazing social media platforms that we have to spread all the different possibilities we can, we can investigate and explore. I 100% agree, you know, uh, and in terms of a garden, this wisdom that humans had for centuries uh, has been lost you know a garden will actually grow to heal you if your garden senses as you're tending to it and you know watering it and interacting with it and breathing on it and talking to it like you do it will actually begin to develop healing properties you know if it senses that maybe you have some cancer cells brewing in your body or mm. other things it will actually grow in a way that will help to heal those so um, the gardens are very intelligent, and so I love that you're wanting to bring that wisdom out even more. And, you know, we live on our yacht, and so I do simple things. Sprouting, right? That's a that's a mm. wonderful way to be interacting with food and growing food in a small space. So, yeah, I totally agree. And, you know, something else I, that you said, I was totally crying inside. And, in fact, I did the, like, the crying face to Daniel uh, when you said that these school kids are not being provided access to the arts and music and sports, mm -hmm. um, you know, because that's really where passion lies. And so they're being robbed of their ability to feel passionate about things. I mean, not that you can't be passionate about science and, and math, but, you know, you don't get this visceral sensation like you do when you hear music. I mean, music is really so celestial. It's like I hear certain notes and it feels very angelic. And so I would be just devastated if I didn't have access to that. 
you know, and even with our current political system right now, they're they're actually cutting funding to all of those things that you're speaking of. So uh, I weep inside. It's so tragic. Um, and yet choose not to go to victim and, you know, just speak up more loudly. Yeah. And it's so amazing, too. It's just incredible that we're going there because it's only been in this mechanized post-industrial society that education has turned into that because for the millennia before the technological revolution that was education that was how stories and history was taught was through dance and through music and through moving the body and the lessons of the physical form in exercise and activity and, and through art through visual expression and now that all those things are fading away we're turning into robots pretty much <laughs> I'll pick up on two things there. You know, there's this wonderful phrase that I read in, uh, I believe it was Gareth's Knight Guide to Kabbalistic Symbolism. The words in there was, grief is a highly purgative and disruptive force. And it's only through grief that we really transform. And so it's important that sometimes we lose things, uh, whether it's a relationship breakup or whatever it might be, because it's, it's through that process of loss that we really start shifting. And you know, I, I, Rachel, I, I will say that when I experienced these adults and children that didn't have access to art alone, never mind everything else, there was a huge grief in me realizing the loss. And then, then as I integrated it, a huge passion to offer something where people could have something, a tool, a way to expand, to find a solution, basically. I would say to people, I'd like you to imagine a pond or imagine and they'd look at me and say, say to me, I, I can't imagine that. And luckily, because I was an art teacher, I was able to help them to start to learn how to imagine. But, you know, if we can't imagine something, we can't create it. What you focus on expands. So the imagination is the main tool of the magician, as we in the ancient traditions teach. All the work that, that we're doing as thought leaders in our new ideas now, new ways of thinking, we forget that we've worked hard to shift our minds to to move out of victim, to become creators of our life. But there are parts of the world where people never heard things like this. They're crying out for stuff that we've now almost become our own normal. So it, it's always good to be reminded of what is happening on the planet that needs massive shifting. And people are asking for it. It's not like they need to be rescued. They're coming forward and saying, hey, you've got something what is it? Can I please hear and understand what this is? And from there, decide what I want to do with it. But people are actually asking, and that's really, really exciting. Uh, but it's good to know what, why people are asking. What are they up against? What have they not had access to? And why what we have is so helpful to other people. Yes, thank you for sharing and providing some of your global perspective. That's one of the things we really pride ourselves on on this show is speaking with people from all over the world. And so we really get a different viewpoint from each different area, from each different speciality, from each different modality that people bring to the table. And it's all of these things collected together that create pure white light, right? Because it takes every yes. single spectrum of the rainbow, the full spectrum combined becomes pure white light. So when all of us join together, that's the rainbow frequency, and that makes the pure white light that we need so badly on the planet. How can people reach out to you and learn more about your upcoming work, your book, this TV show that's in the works, some of your artwork, <laughs> uh, get a life activation, hear where you're going to be teaching next, all the exciting things that Julia Tiffin has to offer? Where can people find you? 
The place where you'll get most things happening and updates in, on the general projects that I do is on my Facebook page, uh, just simply Julia Tiffin. I do also have a Facebook practice page, Julia Tiffin's Practice. The other place where you can get updates with my um, sessions and, and classes is on my website, juliatiffin.com. Beyond that, there will be a new website coming that, that will be with all my product range and then um, return to the sacred.co.za. And down the line, there will be websites with my book and, of course, the TV show to come. But where I update people on where I'm at with things really is on my Facebook page. Things that are going to come up will always be posted on there. If a book's coming or a new website, it'll always appear on my Julia Tiffin Facebook page. Um, so people are welcome to follow me or friend me, get more information, and always email me, connect with me. I travel all over the world and people ask me for private sessions or classes all over the world. So you never know, I might be in an area that's close to you. If people feel they would like to connect with me and learn more, they just need to send me an email, send me a Facebook message and we take it from there. That's wonderful. All of those ways to connect with Julia, as always, will be included in the notes of the show. So just look through the printed text of this episode and you'll find the direct links on how to reach out. And I'm Rachel Alcian. You can find me at rachelalcian.com. I also love connecting on Facebook and on Instagram. You know, I'm just delighted to be of service. I too do life activations and have lots of different support at different levels. So reach out. I'm willing to go as deep as you are. Yeah, lots of love here for you. I am Daniel Alcian. You can email me, daniel at ecstaticexistence.com. Make sure to check out that website, ecstaticexistence.com. There's also an Ecstatic Existence Facebook page. Uh, you can check me out recently on Twitter. That's uh, Ecstatic Podcast and all of the other social media outlets. I love to be in support to people with life activations, personal coaching sessions. Rachel and I do couples work with our passionate partnership program through our Essence of Ecstasy Facebook page. So make sure to check that out as well. And I'm also available for speaking engagements, hosting workshops on meditation, mudras, the metaphysical, and acrobatic yoga. These are really fun practices that I get into. So reach out from around the world. I'd love to connect with you. Now, this show, the Ecstatic Existence Podcast, is an absolute blessing and gift to be able to provide you all with. We do it every single week, absolutely ad-free. There's no outside sponsorship involved that dictates what our show does, who we talk to, what we say, the topics we cover, right? And we'd like to keep it that way. It's absolutely free to download to you around the globe. And in order to do that, it takes your support. So this show is listener-powered, listener-supported. We want to keep it going for you and about you and about your health and progress. The ways that you can support the show are, number one, word of mouth. Tell everyone you know about the awesome episode you just heard with Julia Tiffin and how your mind is blown about how much content fit into a one-hour show, right? The second way you can promote the show is through our wonderful social medias. Click all the like buttons, the share buttons, write comments, leave reviews, subscribe on iTunes, all of these things, okay? And the third leg of support that we really rely on is the financial end. That's because it costs us money to host, post, promote, publish the show, okay? All of the storage of our past 50 plus episodes all cost money to host. So 
You can choose to contribute either a one-time donation through PayPal, that would be to ecstaticexistence at gmail.com, or you can also choose to join our Patreon tribe. This is our sustaining membership. People that choose to contribute anywhere from $1 up as high as they choose on a monthly basis to keep this show going and this kind of content getting out to you and everyone else in the world. We appreciate our sponsors and donors so much. You're amazing. Thank you for keeping it going. We love also receiving all of your comments, feedback, questions for the show, any of the guests. Maybe you'd like to be a guest yourself on the program. And you can get a hold of us about all of those things at our Ecstatic Existence Hotline. It's a phone line dedicated specifically to you listeners. That number is 206-249-9064. 206-249-9064. We love hearing from you. It really makes our day. Thank you all so much for listening. Stay light as a feather. We love you. I watched as her soul got lighter and lighter and lighter and lighter as her soul got 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 lighter